0: Did you ever have one of those weeks? You probably know what I'm talking about. Where things don't seem to go right. Nothing on the schedule is being met. Things you were looking forward to happening couldn't happen now. And all sorts of other things that you weren't expecting come up. All sorts of weird things. And then while you're trying to deal with one All of a sudden, something else comes up. And how are you going to deal with that when you still haven't dealt with the first thing? You know what I mean. Well, I had one of those weeks recently. No, I'm not going to share the details, and you don't have to ask me about it because I'm not looking for your pity. And I know that you've had weeks like that too, and I don't want to hear about it because we don't need to have a pity party. But the question is, what do you do when you have weeks like that? Well, you'd probably say, Pastor, you pray. I did. And I prayed with faith. And things got worse. (laughs) But then I realized I really wasn't praying the way the book says to pray. I want to share with you a passage today that's going to give us encouragement when we're facing those temptations, when we're facing troubles anywhere some encouragement about how we should pray. You know, what we want to do is give God the answers. We want to dictate to God, here's the solution, here's how it should all go now, take care of it. When instead, he simply urges us to ask for mercy and grace. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... and find grace to help us in our time of need. This passage fits in beautifully with the series of messages we have been listening to this month in the Epiphany season that have simply asked the question, Jesus, do you know him? Do you really know who he is? Today we are reminded he is our mediator. And with that comes the encouragement, look to him. Now you probably didn't hear the word mediator in our text, but you did hear the word priest. That's what a priest was, a mediator. Somebody who would be the go-between two groups of people. Somebody who would act as a representative of both parties. The priest in the Old Testament acted as a representative of the people as he brought forward the prayers and the offerings to God. And he would act as a representative of God toward the people as he would speak to them God's word and give them the encouragement that they were forgiven. The Latin word for priest is a a beautiful word. It's pontifex, and we get the English word pontiff from that. But when you break it down, it means literally a bridge builder. We have a great high priest, the writer to the Hebrews says. That's Jesus. He is that great high priest, that perfect high priest, in that he has brought us to God. He's the bridge that has filled that gap of separation between us. He's perfect in that because he is a people. He was true man. And he's perfect for that because he's also true God. And so what the writer is trying to give us as encouragement is this simple truth that we have a God who is in touch with our lives. Now we're going to look and and, and see how he's in touch with us in three ways. And the first way is that he prays for us. Have you ever said to somebody, I'll pray for you? Right? You hear of some trouble they may be experiencing, and, and so you want to give some encouragement to them, and you say, well, I'll pray for you. And hopefully you do. Or maybe as they're spilling out their sorrows to you, you might say something like, I understand what you're going through. I can sympathize with you. And maybe you've been in a similar situation. And so by saying, either I'll pray for you or I understand what you're going through, you're trying to bring them some comfort, some encouragement. But that's maybe as far as it goes. Can you imagine God saying to you, I'll pray for you? He does. Can you imagine God saying, I understand what you're going through? And we might think, what? How can he? He's God. He's perfect. He's almighty. He can fix anything that's wrong. He's in heaven where it's perfect. He's not down here in this crazy world. How can he possibly understand? But yet, the writer in these passages tells us that very point. That Jesus prays for us because he understands and he sympathizes with us. That means he suffers along with us. He has the same feelings. He can identify with what we're going through. And if you wonder about that, how that can be, just remember who Jesus is. He's a true man. He can identify with your sufferings because he suffered too. He was starving. He was sick because Isaiah the prophet said he bore all of our infirmities and weaknesses. He was rejected by people. He had friends who turned their back on him. He had people who didn't listen to him, people who didn't do what he told them to do. He was beat. He even suffered death, as well as had friends who died. Jesus is acquainted with grief, as Isaiah said. In a couple of verses after our our text here, the writer to the Hebrews said... Jesus even prayed to God with tears and cries for help. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He understands. He understands, too, when we have those temptations because we know that he was tempted. He was tempted, we are told, in every way. The Greek says literally, according to every same point as you and I are tempted. You recall some of those stories? How the devil came and tempted Jesus after he had fasted for 40 days and told him, go ahead, you're almighty, turn those stones into bread and eat. Or I tempted him to, to show his power by jumping off the temple and he'd be kept safe because angels will take care of you. Or tempted Jesus to think he, that he could get more glory if he would just worship the devil. And there were many other temptations, too. Temptations where his own followers were trying to keep him from walking the path of God and carrying out our our plan of salvation. Jesus was very familiar with temptations. In fact, I think he probably understood them better than we do. I think the temptations he experienced were more powerful than what we experienced. Because, you know, it doesn't take much for the devil to simply knock me over. But to push against the Holy Son of God What force he must have used. So Jesus understood. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us there's something good about that. He said, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, Jesus understands so that he can help. What he does is he intercedes for us. He comes before the Father's throne in heaven where everything is perfect. He just doesn't come there once or once in a while, but we're told that he comes there eternally. He is always before the throne of his Father pleading with him for our needs. Listen to what the writer of the book of Hebrews says later on. He says, therefore he, being Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So not just once, not just twice, not just once in a while, but he is always interceding for us. In every circumstance that we find ourselves, Jesus is praying for us. If you see from the top line of that passage, it says he's able to save you completely. And that word completely in the Greek was the word perfectly. And it really meant he's able to save you to accomplish his goal. That's what it means by perfectly. In other words, when Jesus prays for us, he prays in such a way that whatever we're going through is going to be working to bring us to that goal that he has for us, which is eternal life. Jesus is praying in such a way that the answer is going to be that it will be something to accomplish our salvation. I know sometimes while we go through this life and are getting answers we don't particularly like, we suffer and we wonder why. Recently, I took my kids to get the flu shots, and the eight-year-old asked, is this going to hurt, Dad? (laughs) And I said, well, it might, but just for a second, and that'll be much better than having to spend a whole week being sick with the flu. And so it is that sometimes what we experience in life may hurt for a little while, but God is intending it for our good to accomplish his goal of salvation. So there's some encouragement for us. Jesus prays for us. Now if you think about that, he is praying for me, so what should I do? Pray to him! And that's exactly what the passage was saying. Because Jesus is our high priest who intercedes for us, let us come with confidence to his throne of grace. And that word in the Greek really meant keep on coming. Don't stop and come with confidence. Ah, there's the challenge, huh? Oh, we can keep coming, but it may not be with that confidence. It may not be asking for the right things. You see, we already have in mind what it is we want. And that's not necessarily wrong, but is it what God wants? Are we coming with that confidence that he's working out everything perfectly for that plan of salvation? You remember the uh, story of, of Jesus cleaning out the temple one day when he was chasing out all the money changers because they had changed the temple into being a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer. Well, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to clean up our house of prayer, that is, this temple where God lives. Maybe we need to remove some of those desires and wants that we have, and it has to go our way, and instead just ask God to give us mercy and grace and let him design the answer. Maybe there's some doubts that are in our heart. Even when we pray, well, I'll pray, but I don't think it's going to really be answered. Or I'll pray, but I don't think I'm going to get what I want. Maybe we need to remove those doubts and questions and pray instead with faith. Fill our hearts with faith that knows we're being heard, knows we're going to be answered, and knows the answer that's coming back is perfectly designed with mercy and grace. So, as you're experiencing one of those weeks or one of those days, be reminded that you have a God, a Savior, who is putting his hands together to pray for your blessing. And be encouraged to pray to Him. Now, the Old Testament priests did more than just bring the prayers of people to God. They were also responsible for bringing the offerings, the sacrifices to God. Over and over again, they would sacrifice animals for the sins of the people. But the reason they had to keep doing it over and over again was those animal sacrifices didn't take away the sins of the people. They were only meant to deliver a message that without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness, but it would be the blood of their Savior. And so the writer to Hebrews also reminds us that our great high priest has died for us. And here's why that's important. We can admit to our, our, our sinfulness, and, and as we come to God, we'll, we'll maybe even uh, confess that sinfulness, but maybe make some pledges, but I'm going to do better, God. Or maybe we'll point to the good things that we've done and and hope that that'll be a basis upon which God is going to answer my prayer. No, the reason he answers, the reason he hears, is because Jesus died for us. You see, he's the sin atoning sacrifice that I need. Blood must be shed, but I can't give my blood to God. It's not worth anything. My blood is tainted with sin. It's polluted through and through. But the blood of Jesus is what makes atonement for me. His blood was holy, pure, perfect. As we sang before, it covers over me. It replaces my bad blood. And nothing else needs to be added to it. I don't need to say, well, I plead the blood of Jesus and look at the good things I do. No, I only need Jesus. His sacrifice was good once for all people's sins. And so that's what gives me the basis upon which I can go to God and ask for blessing. It's because of the blood of Jesus. He's my eternal Savior. They call him the great high priest because there's nobody else like him. He gave his life as a ransom for many. You know, I can't save myself. And you're all nice people, but you can't save me. And I hope you see me as a nice guy, but I can't save you. We can't save each other. Only the great high priest, Jesus, can. And that's because of the greatness of his sacrifice. Now, here's the key thing. Jesus' blood has sealed for us a new covenant, a new agreement with God. It's an agreement that only he acts upon. We simply receive the benefits. And that covenant is that we have forgiveness of all of our sins, fully and freely, forever. My friends, that's what opens up the way to God in prayer. It's that Jesus has died for us. So, when we pray, it's good for us, as Nehemiah did in his prayer, to acknowledge our sinfulness, to turn to him in repentance, but not to boast about the good things now that we will do, but simply to plead for the mercy and grace of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. Now, Sometimes, as we're going through troubles, and they don't seem to go away, we start thinking, you know, I don't think God really cares. I don't think God really cares about me or what I'm going through. And that, of course, is going to be farther from the truth. The proof? You have a Savior who stretched out His hands so that they would be pierced for your sins. You have a Savior who died for you so that you will never be separated from Him or His blessings ever. Ever. And so when we come to pray, we pray with absolute confidence because the blood of Jesus Christ has secured not only the open way, but also the blessings. Since then, we have such open access to God. Since we have easy and direct deposit, you know, like they talk about now with your checks and your phones, we have a way that's secure to the throne of grace. In Jesus, our Savior. Since that is true, let's keep coming. Let's take all of our cares, all of our troubles and concerns, and let's keep going to him, simply asking for mercy and grace. And let God use that to design the answer that we need. The priest did one more thing. Now, as a representative of God, they would speak God's blessing upon the people. God told the priests, at the end of the service, lift up your hands to symbolize blessing coming upon them. And he told them what words of blessing to speak, the very same words that we use every Sunday at the end of our worship services. If the book says to do it, do it. We speak those same words that have been spoken by God's, over God's people for thousands of years. That's pretty cool, huh? And what comforting and encouraging words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. What encouraging words. But what's really neat about those words is that they're God's words. What they're telling us is, he is blessing us. That simply means, God is at work in our lives. God is at work with that mercy. Which simply means, He treats us in ways that we don't deserve to be treated. In other words, he's not treating us the way we deserve to be because of our sins. He's treating us with mercy. And he promised, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. That's God's absolute promise of mercy and compassion. The answer is also shaped with grace that undeserved love, that I don't have to prove myself, I don't have to add anything, I don't need anybody else's help because I've got God's grace that gives me the pardon of all my sins, assurance of peace with God, and is his helping hand coming into my life to take care of all the troubles. There's nothing better than to have God's hand of blessing upon us. It simply is telling us, God is in touch with our lives. He's touching me with blessings. Blessings, yes, even in my troubles. Because Jesus knew what troubles were like. And he went to his God in prayer. And he will be there in our troubles too, to bring us the blessing we need. He'll be there in our temptations. He was tempted too. He'll be there to show us the way out. To give us that knowledge of what's right and wrong, and then to strengthen us in our will so that we will say no to temptation. But if we fall, as we often do, He will still be there to pick us up, to forgive us, and to set us right again. And finally, He's going to be there even to give us those triumphs. He said, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and then you will honor me. Have you noticed how quick we are to go to God to ask for something? Are we that quick to go to God when we have received the something, to tell him thank you, to give him thanks and praise, and maybe to tell others about it, so that they, too, know the goodness of their God? We've got a great high priest, a mediator, God who is in touch with our lives. So, when you have one of those weeks or one of those days, and you will, here's what to do. Simply go to your God and remember, his hands are lifted up to bless you. Simply ask for mercy and grace and let him design the answer that is perfect for you now and perfect for your salvation. Martin Luther once said, I've got a lot to do today, and so I need to spend more time in prayer. When we find ourselves with a lot to do, with a lot in our minds, a lot to deal with, spend more time in prayer. Now you may be wondering, where am I going to find time for that? Someone reminded you that a lot of you have harder commutes than I have, just walking across the driveway, (laughs) that you spend a long time in traffic. And that person said to me, I found it's a good time to just pray. So at the end of the service today, we have these little trinkets, little reminders for you, you know, take one of these things, it's got the little Jesus fish on there and Maybe hang it on your rearview mirror or hang it somewhere at home, maybe around the refrigerator handle or something, to remind you, you know, let's just stop and take a moment to pray. And then you're going to find what is another wonderful little truth, that when you work a prayer into your day, your day will work out better. It did for me. I know it will for you, because God says so. Amen.